You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to episode 56 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And as regular listeners will know, I like to start with a shout out to our new listeners. And this week we have new listeners in London, Birmingham, Manchester, Norwich, Guildford, Northampton, Darlington, Swindon, Hemel Hempstead, Newcastle-upon-Tyne, Swansea, Leeds, Derby, Sheffield, Farnborough in Hampshire, Cardiff, Southampton, Chelmsford and Portsmouth. And then across the channel we have new listeners this week in Paris in the, and in Alpes-Maritime in France. We have new listeners in Madrid and Barcelona in Spain, in Braga and Setebel in Portugal, in Luxembourg, in Brussels and Antwerp and Hanolt in Belgium, in Amsterdam, Rotterdam and The Hague in the Netherlands, in Koblenz, M- Munich, Nuremberg, Berlin, Rendsburg, Hamburg, Frankfurt, Dusseldorf and Duisburg, all in Germany, in Copenhagen and Hoverstaden in Denmark, in Hordaland and Oslo in Norway, in Uppsala and Stockholm in Sweden, in Helsinki in Finland, in Poznan and Warsaw in Poland, in Kiev in the Ukraine, in Serbia, in Bucharest in Romania, in Budapest in Hungary, in Vienna in Austria, in Bern in Switzerland, in Milan in Italy, Istanbul in Turkey, Tel Aviv in Israel, Nairobi in Kenya as our first Kenyan listeners, so a big welcome to you, Johannesburg in South Africa, Mumbai and Tamil Nadu in India, Bangkok in Thailand, Hong Kong, Incheon in South Korea, Tokyo and Kanagawa in Japan, Tasmania, Perth and Adelaide in Australia. Big shout out to our new listener in Tasmania, our first visitor from Tasmania. From Sao Paulo and Belo Horizonte in Brazil. From Magdalena in Colombia. From Kingston in Jamaica. From Quebec in Canada. And then in the USA from San Francisco, New York, Orlando, Boston, Richland, Atlanta, Dallas, San Diego, Denver, Washington DC, Pasco, Medford, Superior, Seattle, Detroit, Des Moines, Raleigh, Jacksonville, Phoenix, Kalamazoo, Rochester, Cincinnati, Greensboro and Salisbury. So again a fantastic range of new listeners right around the world. Great to have you all along. Really pleased to see that you're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show. And of course, as always, a shout out to all my regular listeners who tune in every week to catch up on the latest news in the world of GDPR. I really appreciate you giving up 30 or 40 minutes of your week to listen to the show. And I also really appreciate your feedback. So if you have any feedback, please do send it to us at podcast at insurety.co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y dot co.uk. Or you can visit the podcast page on our website at www.insurity.co.uk. And on the website, you can also find out all about our other services that we provide in addition to the podcast. Those services such as training in GDPR, in GDPR audits, in uh, being the external DPO for you if you don't wish to employ your own DPO. 
and also by being your EU representative if you wish to have an EU representative for the purposes of GDPR. All good services that we offer and we have well over 100 satisfied clients and so if you'd like to join our client base please do get in touch and have a chat with us. Um, just drop us a line to podcast at insurity.co.uk and one of our team will get back to you just as soon as we can. In a moment, I'll be telling you what's coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. So, coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have news of a Facebook data breach which has potentially exposed the phone numbers of 18 million UK users. We have news of a data breach at an NHS trust, the Tavistock and Portman NHS Trust. Uh, with a data breach via ACC on an email. We have news of a leak of employee data linked to Monster. We have news of some secret web tracking pages being used by Google. We have some thoughts on privacy policies and what needs to be done to keep privacy policies within the guidelines set down by GDPR and finally this week we have news of a data breach at a popular PDF reader software supplier Foxit Software and some recommendations on what you should do if you've been affected. So as always a wide-ranging scope of articles on this week's GDPR weekly show. We hope you enjoyed the show and as always any feedback is very welcome. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Facebook appeared to feature on the GDPR Weekly Show probably more than any other company or organisation, and in part, I guess that's down to the sheer size. But it's disappointing to see Facebook appear again in the GDPR Weekly Show this week for yet another data breach and this time phone numbers linked to more than 400 million Facebook accounts have been posted online. According to TechCrunch, who were the first to report on this, 133 million US accounts and, importantly from the GDPR perspective, 18 million British accounts were among 419 million records left in an open online server that was not even secured with a password. The data, according to the person on Earth database, includes profiles and phone numbers and includes phone numbers of some celebrities. Facebook, for its part, has confirmed the report but said the total number of people affected is likely to be around 200 million as there are a number of duplicate entries. It's embarrassing for Facebook as it comes at a time when the Irish ICO, which is taking charge within Europe for investigating complaints into Facebook, is already rumoured to be um, considering massive penalties on Facebook for previous breaches, including breaches that have occurred since the Cambridge Analytica scandal, which started off the whole issue with Facebook way back in April 2018. TechCrunch and the person who found the data claimed that the server listed some accounts and their geographical locations with the user's unique Facebook IDs stored alongside their phone number as well as their gender. The implications of this mean that 
all of these people are potentially exposed to fraud attempts, including spam calls, phishing attacks, etc., by criminals who've got hold of the data and are then trying to get hold of more personal details by deceiving the people involved. As of last Wednesday, the server with all the data was still online until TechCrunch contacted Facebook and Facebook took down the site. Facebook confirms that parts of the report but downplayed the extent of the exposure. The database was first discovered by Sanmyam Jain, a security researcher and a member of the GTI Foundation. Facebook were keen to stress that the data was old and that a number of records had been duplicated. A Facebook spokesperson said the data set has been taken down and we've seen no evidence that Facebook accounts have been compromised. As the database has now been taken offline, there's no way for concerned users to find out if their information was leaked. Kate Bevan, the computing editor for Which, said, Facebook has taken positive steps to tighten security since this breach, but it will still worry users that millions of phone numbers could make it into the hands of criminals, leaving them open to being targeted by cold calling, fraudsters and other scams. If you've uploaded your phone number to Facebook at any point, it's worth being extra vigilant about calls claiming to be from tech support, warning that your computer or router is compromised, or any other unexpected cold callers. We expect there to be updates to this story in the next few weeks, and we will, of course, bring you the latest news in forthcoming episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. An NHS trust, which runs a gender identity clinic in London, mistakenly exposed details of close to 2,000 people on its email list this week. The Charing Cross Gender Identity Clinic sent email patients an email about an art competition with hundreds of other patients CC'd in. The clinic later tried to recall the message, but the error had already been noticed. Two separate emails were sent, with about 900 people CC'd on each email. One patient at the clinic, Jessie, told the BBC she was angry about what happened. It could out someone, she said, especially as this place treats people who are transgender. A spokesman for the Tavistock and Portman NHS Foundation Trust, the trust involved in running the Charing Cross Gender Identity Clinic, said, we are currently investigating a data security incident. This incident involved an email from our patient and public involvement team regarding an art project. Unfortunately, due to an error, the email addresses of some of those who we were inviting to participate were not hidden and therefore visible to all. We can confirm we are reporting this breach to the Information Commissioner's Office as well as treating it as a serious incident within the Trust. When we contacted the ICO, they said that the Tavistock and Portman NHS Foundation Trust had made them aware of an incident and that they were currently assessing the information provided. It would be interesting to see what happens in this case, I think, because certainly in our experience, whenever we are involved in doing an audit for GDPR purposes, we commonly find that the sending of an email with other people's email addresses, including the CC, is perhaps one of the most common data breaches that we come across because it is so simple to do and so many of us have got used to sending emails and just putting all the other email addresses in CC. 
And something we emphasise as part of our training, and, and I'm going to re-emphasise now because it's such a simple problem to solve, is please stop using CC when you're sending an email to other people, unless they're within your own organisation. If they're not within your organisation, particularly if they're members of the public, then make sure you use BCC, and then no one can see them. It's as simple as that. It's a, it's a two-second fix. And it can save you an awful lot of heartache. So please stop using CC, use BCC, and make everyone's lives a little bit easier. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. According to a report in TechCrunch, the details of thousands of job seekers have been leaked online in a large-scale data breach. CVs from job seekers stored by a number of recruitment firms, primarily Monster, were found on a web server that had been left exposed for a number of years. The candidates' documents included a range of personal details, such as email and home addresses, phone numbers and past employment history. Whilst it's not clear at this time the exact number of leaked documents concerned, but a single folder dated May 2017 contained thousands of CVs. It said that the files cover a time period stretching from 2014 to 2017, with most of the applicants based in the United States, although some files were found to include immigration documentation. A statement by Michael Jones, the Chief Privacy Officer for Monster, said that the server was owned by an unnamed recruitment customer. Monster would not name the customer, but did say it was no longer working with them. It added that the compromised server had been secured shortly after it was breached, but that because the incident happened on a customer system, Monster was not in a position to identify or confirm which users had been affected. The Monster security team was made aware of a possible exposure and notified the recruitment company of the issue, the company said. The company went on to say that customers that purchase access to Monster's data, which includes candidate resumes and CVs, become the owners of the data and are responsible for maintaining its security. Because customers are the owners of this data, they are solely responsible for notifications to affected parties in the event of a breach of a customer's database, they went on to say. So, again, we don't obviously know who the end customer was here at the moment, nor do we know whether there were any records within the EU, within these records that have been breached, and uh, we've not been able to gather that information from Monster. So we will try to bring you an update to this story in an upcoming episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. Browser supplier Brave has sent an allegation to the Irish Data Protection Commission regarding Google. It says that Google is accused of using hidden web pages that are assigned to users to provide more information to advertisers about the user's every move online. Google, when we approached them about this, insisted that they have heard of the allegation and they reject it, saying that they are acting in full accordance with GDPR and EU privacy laws. Privacy-focused web browser Brave has published details of an investigation it conducted into a Google ad system known as Authorised Buyers, which was previously known as DoubleClick. Brave has sent the findings to the Irish Data Commissioner as a supplementary part of a complaint previously filed by Brave last year. Chief Policy Officer Johnny Ryan says that they used Google's Chrome browser to conduct their research. 
He had no logins, cookies or browsing history on the device and so was in effect a new user. He said he discovered hidden web pages that had a unique address. They acted as an identifier which in effect was unique to him. This so-called pseudonymous, this so-called pseudonymized marker when combined with cookies can help track user activity across the web, he claimed. Cookies, as you probably know, are small pieces of code, small files that are embedded in websites and downloaded to devices to track how users browse the net. They require permissions from the user to be used, which the hidden web page does not. Over the course of just one hour of web browsing, Johnny Ryan said, Google created at least nine of these pages and 11 duplicate pages that transferred data about him. That data was not seen by him, but could have included information about age and gender, habits, social media usage, ethnicity or political affiliation, he said. Eight companies other than Google were active on one or more of these pages, and the identifiers for him were used 278 times, he found. In their allegation, Brave claim that Doodle is using these push pages as a workaround to GDPR, which aims to give users far greater control of their data. Doodle has previously said that it no longer shares unique identifiers that could help companies link an individual to their own internal profiles. The question for the Irish Commissioner will be whether these web pages help advertisers build detailed profiles of web users and whether that is against the principles of GDPR. Doodle says that it's using the pages solely to measure website latency and not as an identifier. Frederick Kalthirner from Privacy International said, Thousands of companies know your identity, not by your name, your photo or your address, but by what you do online. And these online profiles often reveal extremely private information about you. She said, for example, if you're reading an article about erectile dysfunction, depression or self-harm, chances are high that this will be broadcast to thousands of companies. So how does this work? Well, Google's advertising system is present on 8.4 million websites and increasingly it relies on a system known as real-time bidding, a type of online advertising that allows all the details of what people are doing online to be auctioned in real time in order to serve them targeted adverts. You've probably noticed this yourself. If you go onto a website and look at something about a particular issue or particular product and then you find for the next day or so that the adverts for that product or service appear to follow you around. Through real-time bidding, large amounts of personal data exchanges hands between a large number of players billions of times a day in transactions that take milliseconds, a bit like trading in the financial markets but with data as a prize rather than money. When a person visits a website which displays advertisements via real-time bidding, a request to serve them an ad is sent to an ad exchange which broadcasts what they are doing to hundreds of ad buyers. They then hold an auction and bid to serve them ads. The industry is believed to be worth billions of pounds. In a statement, Doodle said, We do not serve personalised ads or send bid requests to bidders without users' consent. The Irish Data Protection Commission, as Doodle's lead data protection authority, and the UK Information Commissioner's Office are already looking into real-time bidding in order to assess its compliance with GDPR. Google welcomes that work and are cooperating in full. So we wait and see what happens in this case, and we will, of course, keep you updated in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. But if the 
Iris stated Commissioner Fine's Doodle in breach of GDPR, chances are it's going to put another hefty fine on to Doodle. And Doodle could also be ordered to change its practices as a result. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. One important thing with GDPR, which is often overlooked in our experience, is the need to ensure that your privacy policy is kept separate from your terms and conditions. And recent court cases have made this much more prevalent and much more important, perhaps, than it was previously, because European regulators have found fault with companies who have their privacy policies embedded within their standard terms and conditions. With hundreds of policy templates to choose from, we recognise it's difficult when writing a privacy policy to know whether it's too long, too short, is it too complicated so no one can read it, is it so simple it's not covering all the bases, is it striking the right balance between being unreadable and unworkable and being essential. The main challenge is to keep the privacy notice as a separate document because this makes it much more likely that if you do have a data breach or you do have a situation where a data subject makes a complaint against you to the ICO or to your relevant ICO in whichever country you you are, it'd be easier to defend if you have a clear and concise and in plain language privacy policy. It's important that a privacy policy should be in language that an average person should be able to understand. So please don't include legal speak, or worse, Euro speak. Don't put in lengthy sentences with tons of exceptions, but just describe to the point what it is you intend to do with the person's data. In the Facebook case, the European Commission announced on April the 9th that it had ordered the company to change its terms of service to explain clearly how the company makes money by selling user data. The new terms of service have to state what data Facebook sells to third parties, including data brokers or ad exchanges, how it will respond to misuse of data by third parties, and under what conditions it can unilaterally change its terms. Now, of course, not all of us are as big or as complicated as Facebook, but there's important notes there. It is about making sure that your privacy policy is as simple to read as it can be, whilst making sure that you are covering all the situations where you use somebody's data. One of the issues that's recognised is that nowhere in GDPR does it actually say what your privacy notice needs to say, how it needs to be written, but you can use that to your advantage too, because there's nothing to say that privacy policy actually has to be on a physical document. So why not go outside the box? Why not think about using images to convey your privacy policy or even video? to explain how you're processing personal data. And always consider that you can have a layered approach. So you might have a very straightforward privacy policy, which is what you display to the majority of members of the public visiting your site. But it's not going to stop you having deep links from that into more complex text, which might be needed if you want to deal with specific user cases of where you're using data. Of course, big companies tend to come across this more than smaller ones. But if we take Google, for example, 
They were recently ordered by a German federal competition office to remove some 25 clauses from their privacy policy. And they also pointed out that parts of the privacy policy dated back to 2012 and so had not been updated to encapsulate what is now required under GDPR. The German court went on to say that the terms and conditions gave the consumer the incorrect impression that they must tolerate the practice described in the privacy policy whether they want to or not. It also criticised, amongst other things, that the privacy policy was designed to give the impression that the described data processing was allowed without the consent of customers, which was not actually the case. Despite GDPR, privacy policies are often written in complicated legalistic language designed to obscure the fact that for many online services, personal data will be shared with third parties and used for targeted advertising. This has recently been picked up by a court in Norway who called it deception by design. The previous European Data Protection Supervisor, Giovanni Bertarelli, pointed out, Terms of service are generally designed to safeguard a service provider against legal challenge. These terms are not a contract established jointly by two more or less equal parties. Rather, they are laid down by the service provider and not open to negotiation. In the EU, there are rules protecting the consumer against unfair terms under Article 102 of the Treaty on the Functioning of the EU, prohibiting a dominant company in the market from imposing unfair trading conditions. He further described that most privacy policies nowadays as either long, verbose and impenetrable legalese, or as vague and soothing PR exercises. Either approach places the burden on the individual to understand complex data practices and act rationally in their own best interest, he continued. According to Butterelli, transparency has become a double-edged sword. Provide too much information and the average person cannot reasonably be expected to read it, oversimplify and they will have little idea of what's really going on. Finn Merstad, Director of Digital Policy at Norwegian Consumer Council, who conducted the definitive research into terms and conditions on mobile apps three years ago, said that despite GDPR, he hasn't seen a difference between mobile and web-based platforms. As far as we have seen, there is not much difference between the terms of apps and of web-based platforms, and often the terms overlap. One difference is that on web-based platforms, it's often difficult to know if the terms of privacy policy are meant to cover the actual platforms or just the use of cookies and trackers on the website itself, he explained. We have some model privacy policies available, so if you're not sure whether your privacy policy is too simple, too complicated, or could be improved, then please do get in touch with us. Just drop us an email to podcasts at insurability.co.uk and we'll get back to you with how to take the next steps to ensure that your privacy policy is fully GDPR compliant. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Users of some of the most popular PDF reader tools have been urged to check their passwords following a data breach. Foxit Software, the company behind Foxit Reader and the popular PDF editor Phantom PDF, is telling users to reset passwords after it suffered the breach. The software developer has not revealed a great deal about the nature of the security incident and has been somewhat vague about when it took place. In a security advisory, the company says that it determined that unauthorised access to its data systems had taken place recently. 
The notice went on to say that a third party had managed to gain access to data in the My Account section of users' accounts. This included information such as email addresses, passwords, names, phone numbers, company names and IP addresses. The company has not said whether its passwords were encrypted or stored in a readable format and has remained strangely quiet about the incident on its social media channels. When we contacted Foxit Software, they were keen to stress that no payment information had been exposed and that they were recommending users change their passwords without delay. It was possible that the other information gained may be used either for identity theft or in a phishing attack, perhaps pretending to be from Foxit Software and requesting further payment information from users. So if you are a Foxit Software user, then we recommend that you do change your password without delay and also be wary if you receive an email which appear to be from Foxit. If you are unsure whether email is genuine, please check with Foxit uh, before you provide any payment card details. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us and Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember to keep your data safe. Check us out on Facebook. The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.